I need that hype music like in all of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like anytime like I get up from my desk to go get something off the copy machine, that's playing. You know what I'm saying? Man, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys. If you got your Bible, open up with me. We're going to kick off Luke chapter 8 today, uh, but also as you're flipping to 8, go to 4 as well and just hold your finger there. Uh, or if you're using your phone or tablet or whatever, uh, just make note that we're going to go to both of those places. So something interesting happened just a moment, and I just want to draw your attention to it because I, I hope that all of us, that this is how, how we interact with God. So um, Charlie, my youngest, is one of her love languages is physical touch. Um, and so this morning it was on overdrive. Um, you know, like sometimes you're like, kids, stop touching me. Like for just a moment, we were having one of those, right? And so like everything's cool. I'm trying to worship. We get into the second set of the songs and I've got my hands in my pockets like this because I stand like that a lot. And she's like trying to get my hands in my pockets and I'm trying to focus on worship and I'm you know, leaving my hands in there. All of a sudden I feel her little head like just shove. And so now I'm like standing like this with her in a headlock and she's just loving it, just to sing it. And, and I, it, it was a blessing to me this morning because I hope that sometimes we're like that with God, that, that we're in a place where we just, we just, just, y'all have seen that meme, like, let me just scooch in here real quick. Don't mind me. You know, I, like I want us to, to be like that with the father. Um, you know, as we, as we're studying this book, our goal is to know him, like, and to be that comfortable with Jesus that we can be like, look, I know you're in the middle of something. Let me just scooch in here and just, I just need a little bit more than, I, than what I've got right now. Um, so today as, as we are approaching this passage, I want us to just keep in mind, like that's our, that's our goal is to know him at, at that kind of a level. Last week we covered a ton of ground. Um, today we're going to slow our pace a little bit. This morning Carrie's like, so Will, how much you, how much you doing today? I was like three verses, uh, just three, and, and you'll understand why in just a minute. I, I was thinking about it this week. One of the benefits of going through, like for me, one of the benefits, one of the blessings of going through uh, a study like this is that, um, is that you got to hit everything. But it also makes it challenging sometimes because you don't get to skip over something, right? If I've been preaching verse by verse through the entire book of Luke for a year and then I jump over a couple of verses and don't mention them, everybody's going to be like, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. Why are, we, why, are we not, why are we not talking about that? Let's go back to that. Today is kind of one of those days. And in the climate of our church today, there's a lot of conversation about the role of women in the church. And in these first three verses, Luke is going to talk about um, women and their support of Jesus. And I, I want to be real clear about something today. Our goal as we look at these verses is simply to understand Luke's intention. What is he trying to say? He intentionally mentions them. And today we want to figure that out. We want to understand it. We want to understand what that means for us. Uh, and I want to say today too, it's not my intention to try to, to define or redefine anything regarding women's ministry in the church. I want us to look at the text and understand what Luke's intention is. I'm going to read and refer to a lot of different commentators today, which span the, about 500 years of writing about this particular passage. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, and I want to do all of that so that we get a really well-rounded view of this passage. We want, I want us to understand it, and not just from a particular moment in time, but from a big swath of time, okay? Before we get into those verses, though, I told you we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. I want us to look at, at chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. We looked at this uh, a couple of months ago, but I want us to, to go back, and I want us to look at this because I want us to, to get in the frame of mind why Jesus 
is saying the things he's saying and why Luke is saying the things that he's saying. So look with me at Luke chapter 4. I just want to read verses 17 through 19 again uh, to kind of get us back in this mindset. And so uh, verse 17, it says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind and to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you'll remember when Jesus is doing this, this is when he's, when he's reading in the synagogue in Nazareth. And it's right after, this is the beginning of ministry and right after this moment is when they run him out of the synagogue and Jesus moves up to the Galilee area. Um, and this is right after his temptation in the desert. Like this is Jesus kind of opening peace. Like here's who I am. And so he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he's, and he's in essence saying that what this scripture is talking about, that's who I am. Jesus made it so clear from the beginning of his ministry that he came to minister to those that society had forgotten and overlooked. Okay. Today, we're going to see, as we look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through uh, 3, that this is a part of that ministry, that he is going to be looking at uh, a particular people uh, that were overlooked. In, in a male-dominated world, women were rarely the focus of teaching for, for the, the Jewish uh, culture. Today, we're going we're gonna to see, and in many other places in all four Gospels, that women are no less important to Jesus. And that's, I, I want us to, to just make that very known right in the front. Like if you're looking at an outline, <clears throat> that is written in there even before point one. I want us to see that in all four gospels, women are no less important to Jesus. So let's look at verses one through three. We'll read them together and then we'll break them down like we always do. So starting in verse one, it says, afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many other who were supporting them from their possessions. So the first thing I want to point out, <clears throat> excuse me, which, Luke, will you grab me a bottle of water real quick? First thing I want to point out is that Luke says, uh, is telling us what's happening in verse 1. I don't have it. You have to go to the kitchen. Thank you, Mickey. Somebody. Jesus is traveling, he's preaching, and he's telling the good news to the kingdom of God. Point number one today is that Jesus' mission was to reveal the kingdom of God. This is always the priority. Jesus didn't come to challenge social issues. Jesus came to proclaim the goodness of God, and in doing so, people's hearts were changed. Thank you. Jesus came to proclaim the, good, the goodness of God, and in doing so, people's hearts were changed. And the changing of hearts, I want you all to think about this. The changing of hearts is what inspires and empowers cultural change. The change of heart is what empowers cultural change. Too often, the church has gotten that backward. If our goal is culture change and not preaching the gospel, we are not following Jesus' leads. We're not doing things the way that he did them. The heart has to change before the behavior will be different. Look at James chapter 3, verse 12. We, we read through this and studied this a, a year or so ago when we went through the book of James. But it says, can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. James is pointing out that we can't be something that we're not. 
right? We are what we are. But the good news is that Jesus can change what we are. But we can't try to be something that we're not already. But Jesus can work in us. And as he changes our hearts, he changes our nature. He changes us into himself. If we try to change social norms or culture in our own power or knowledge, we are a fig tree trying to produce olives. It's not in us. Luke is making the statement about the ministry of Jesus regarding his inclusion of women, but makes a point to say that their inclusion resulted from their experience with Jesus. Look at verse 2 again. It said, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness, Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Point number two for today is that Jesus' ministry brings hope and healing. I'm reading a book right now called Crucial Conversations. And in the first chapter, the authors discuss how crucial conversations differ from something that is simply frustrating or difficult. A crucial conversation, if not handled correctly, can damage relationships or projects for long term. Okay? There will be times when we have to have crucial conversations to preserve or to protect our relationships. Those are, those are moments of impasse where you have to talk about something that's really important. It's going to be hard. And in the book they talk about, if you want to judge the health of an organization, is you look at the amount of time it takes between when something crucial happens and when people begin to talk about it. And the shorter that time frame is, the more healthy the, the organization is. Boy, what a challenging word for me as I think about how I lead this place and how I lead at my, my, my other job. In the context of our subject matter today, we have to consider how our attitudes and our responses are going to affect the people around us. If we do anything, church, if we do anything, our overarching message should always bring hope and healing because that's what Jesus did. This is what differentiates a ministry from a social program. If our focus isn't always the gospel, we'll transform our church into a social club that has an identity crisis because we'll call ourselves a church, but we'll act like something else. And we won't want to be here, and nobody else is going to want to join us either. In fact, church, I believe that that is the root of why so many people are leaving the church today. It's because we've gotten this backwards. We see culture, and we want to, we want to make change in culture. But the way we do that is by us trying to make a change and let us, instead of letting Jesus change our hearts and that affect the culture around us. The men and women that Luke says are following, participating, and supporting his ministry are responding to the hope and the healing that they have received. As followers of Jesus, this should be the mark of our ministry as well. If it isn't the mark of our ministry, we need to have a crucial conversation with ourselves and with Jesus. One of our six distinctives that we talk about when we go through new member training there, I preached through that uh, about a year ago and went through our, our distinctives again. One of them that's really important is motivation. We talk about how our motivation to do anything should always be grace. Jesus reveals the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing people. And in response to this revelation, in response to this understanding of the kingdom of God, men and women alike are experiencing, they're feeling hope, and their bodies are being healing. The women in our story today, all of them, had been healed. Mary Magdalene, seven demons cast out of her. 
The other two women that are mentioned, uh, Cusa and, and uh, what was the other one? Sabrina. No, not Sabrina. Hold on. Susanna, thank you. Both of them had experienced healing. These experiences are their motivation to follow and to support Jesus. One of my commentaries this week said, how we learn that these women responded, or here we learn that these women responded in love and gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. It seems to have not to, to have been not uncommon for godly women to help religious teachers. And Jesus speaks of some Pharisees who were evidently quite rapacious, which means that they were very greedy. They were taking advantage of the fact that these wealthy women were supporting them. In every interaction that Jesus has, he is challenging and changing people's understanding of God. The value of women and God's heart for them was no different. Where they were often sidelined, Jesus heals, teaches, and includes them in his ministry. And we can glimpse this attitude of overlooking women when Jesus interacts with the woman in the well. We're going to flip real quick. Go with me to the book of John chapter 4. This is a story that we've read. I've, I've preached this many times, but God's brought some new insight to it to, to me this week, and I want to share it with you guys because it changes how we understand this. Look with me at John chapter 4. We'll just read verse 27 to start with. If I can get these pages apart. Verse 27, it said, just then as his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? The disciples walk up, they see Jesus and they think to themselves, what does she want? That's what they're asking. And Jesus, why are you talking with her? In this story, we see Jesus doing what is unexpected and culturally strange. He's talking with a woman. We know that because of the disciples' reaction to seeing Jesus with her. And even though it was a cultural faux pas, his message brings hope to this woman. Look at her response to Jesus' message of grace and hope and salvation. Pick it up in verse 28, reading through 30. It says, Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. Her natural response to Jesus was to go and tell everyone what she had just experienced. Church, this was such an incredible experience that she left her water jar. And it's easy for us to overlook that small detail that Luke includes there. Have you ever walked into a room and then you go, wait, why did I come in here? Have you ever done that? This is what's happening in this story. She goes to get water, which we've talked about before. She went in the middle of the day, which shows that she was an outcast in society because that's not when you go get water. You go get water in the morning, but she went during the middle of the day when no one else would be there. And so she goes to get water, has this conversation with Jesus, and leaves the very reason that she went to the well in the first place because all of a sudden that thing that was important was no longer important because she had a revelation about who this man was and the kingdom of God. What she was experiencing was more important than what she had been doing and this motivated her to go find other people and tell them. And the result of her testimony was a crowd of people following her back out to the well to meet Jesus. Now track with me here, okay? We have two scenes happening at the same time. In the first scene, this woman is changed and goes to share hope and healing that she's experienced as she's had this conversation with Jesus. In the second scene, the disciples 
are blind to what's happening and are focused on filling their bellies, okay? In the second scene, we have this squabble happening between the disciples about whether Jesus had eaten or not. Okay, look at this with me. Um, Picking up in uh, verse 31. It says, In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food here that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, Could someone else have brought him something to eat? Okay, scene one, this woman's life has just been changed. She changed. She leaves to go tell everybody. The disciples see her leave, and they're like, hey, bro, get some food. And he's like, no, I'm good. And they're like, wait, what? Something incredible is happening. And how ironic is it that something this amazing is happening in town, and the disciples are arguing over whether or not Jesus is eating and who might have brought him some food. Do you see how ironic this life-changing, town-changing moment is happening and the disciples are over here and be like, well, did he eat? I don't know. Did you bring food? No, I didn't bring food. Did you bring food? No, I didn't didn't bring him food. And then Jesus uses this teachable moment. Looking, picking up at verse 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish this work. And Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Jesus wants them to see that something that they have never seen before is happening. The seed, listen, to, this is what Jesus is talking about. Because you just blow through that and you're like, oh, I don't have seed and harvest reaper. I don't know. The seed is being planted and the harvest is being gathered at the same time. You following? You tracking with me? Jesus says in the beginning of that, don't you stay there still four more months? That four more months he's talking about is between when you plant the seed and when you harvest whatever it is you planted. And Jesus is saying those things are happening simultaneously. Pay attention. Jesus is sowing the kingdom seeds, and the seeds are already ready for harvest. While they're being reprimanded by Jesus about what is important and what their purpose for being there is, something amazing is happening in town. Church, I want us to see this is how we miss it. This is what happens all of the time. God is doing something incredible over here. Whatever it is, it's God exclusive, God's doing it. And over here, we're arguing about something that doesn't matter. We're focused on did Jesus eat or not, and Jesus is going to shut up about that. Look at what's happening over here. But this is why we miss it. Because we take something that's disputable, that doesn't matter, and we want to argue, we want to plant a flag and say, no, I'm right about this. And over here, God's going, guys, you're missing it. The harvest is ready, and you're over here farting around talking about this stuff. So often God is trying to do something incredible and the church misses it because we're fighting about something that doesn't matter. We're focused on whether or not Jesus is eating and the whole town is over here accepting the gospel. This woman has just run into town to proclaim to everyone the hope and the healing that she's just experienced and then invites them to come see for themselves. And then meanwhile, the disciples are over here, Jesus, eat something, you're hungry, right? They're missing it. And consider for a moment, How unlikely it was for this particular woman to come and to testify to the whole town about the Messiah. If you've read the beginning of that story, and I know you have, we know what kind of woman we're talking about. 
And of all of the people for this to come through, Jesus chose her, a woman, a prostitute, a sinner, an outcast. And that's who Jesus chose to share the gospel with this whole town of Samaritans. And look at the town's response to this woman's unlikely testimony, picking up in verse 39. It says, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. And when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this really is the Savior of the world. Testimony from arguably the most culturally and socially unlikely person brought a whole town to faith in Jesus. And this brings us to our final point for today, is that Jesus' ministry is supported by the unlikely among us. I want to qualify the word supported before we go any further. This is a word that's used in verse 3. Some translations use supported and others use provided for, but all of it comes from the Greek word Diakonal, okay, which means to serve or to minister to. I want to give you a couple of different definitions of this because I want us to all understand what Luke is communicating by using this particular word. Anna's got it up on their slides. Uh, from the Dictionary of Biblical Languages with Semantic Domains, it says to serve, render assistance, or to take care of by rendering humble service to, to wait upon, serve food and drink, to be a deacon, minister unto, to handle finances, formally handle finances, or from another interpretation, to wait upon, okay? Or in the Greek-English lexicon, it says this, it seems quite evident that, that uh, let me get my, the yucca now, let me make sure I say it right, involved a number of different functions as a person served others, especially in connection with relief to the poor. In some instances, it may be translated as to have responsibility to help others or to be responsible to take care of others' needs. Undoubtedly, you guys are seeing the connection to another word that we spent a lot of time learning about. Look at this other one from, uh, this is from Strong's Concordance, I believe. Um, that diokonos, right, is a servant. That's where we get the word deacon. We've talked a lot about what it means to be a deacon. It means to serve others. This is what Luke is saying that these women are doing. It's very important, anytime that we interpret Scripture, church, that we don't try to take anything away from it, We don't hide anything that it's saying, and then we don't add anything to what it's saying. That's why I want us to look at this together. Luke is clear in his use of language that they were providing financial support and were following Jesus with the disciples and learning from him. In this passage, Luke uses this word to specify the ways that these women were supporting him. But this also does not diminish Luke's point that Jesus chose to allow their support. Look at what the preacher's commentary series says about this. It says, these three verses are especially interesting. We said earlier that Luke's gospel is, among other things, the gospel of women. Here he tells us that Jesus and his disciples were largely supported by women. Certainly, this was not because they needed to be. You remember, God provided the Israelites with manna for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus might have chosen to do miracles and turn stones into bread, but unconditional love also knows how to receive. During his three years of ministry, our Lord received the generosity of these women who had been healed, liberated, 
and forgiven. I included this quote because I love that it points out that Jesus didn't need their help. He didn't need them. He chose to use them. Jesus could care for himself, but he chose to have people partner with him in ministry by allowing them to support him. He's role modeling something that we do not do well, and that's accepting the help from others. I've shared with you guys so many times how that is a struggle for me. And every time that struggle rears its ugly head, God points out that the root of that is pride. And I got to get that out of me. Another example that comes to mind is the Apostle John when he's encouraging the church to support the people who are spreading the gospel. This is from 3 John verses 5 through 8. It says, Dear friends, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that each... Um, so that we can uh, be co-workers with with the truth. Every believer has the opportunity to both give and receive this kind of support. And whether we're supporting it for a time or or we're the ones in need of support because of what God's doing us, we are to be ready to both give and to receive support. Again, this was the result of a heart change that's accompanied by a growing relationship with Jesus. This is not, oh, this is a thing I ought to or I need to do. This is something that happens as a result of a heart change. Luke tells us in verse 3 that who, who's responding to this. Joanna the life of Cusa and Herod steward Susanna and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. And I want you to notice that it says that they were supporting them. They supported the 12 apostles in addition to Jesus. And it's pretty common for people to think about their own ability to support someone or to assume that they're not the ones that are able to. We don't know a lot about these women, but evidently this kind of support was uncommon. Joanna was someone of means because her husband worked for Herod, but we don't know much about Susanna or Mary. And we need to remember that our obedience isn't determined by our means, that God can and will do whatever he wants to do through us if we make ourselves available. We've learned from experience that when God has a need, he provides that need often through the least expected ways. This story is no different. In fact, for me, it confirms that God continues to use the unexpected and the overlooked. Another commentary said, when this discussion of women is set next to that of the sinful woman in in chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, it is clear that Jesus, that's what we read last week, okay? When you put this story next to that one, it's clear that Jesus' ministry spanned social backgrounds as well as moral backgrounds. It is striking that here the woman's response to the concrete, it took the concrete form of support. Just as in the Old Testament, the whole nation was to support the priest. So these women, as beneficiaries of God's grace, gave support to Jesus' ministry. Receiving should lead to giving. And our story last week was where the woman, Jesus is reclining at the table of the Pharisee, and the woman come and she washes her feet with her tears dries his feet with her hair, and anoints his feet with oil. It was in response, we talked about this last week, to the forgiveness that she had received from Jesus. The story that we just read a little bit ago from John, the woman's response, going and telling, preaching the gospel to the town, was in response to the hope and the healing and the salvation that she received from Jesus. In our study of this book, 
we have seen Jesus pouring into the overlooked in our society. And today we've seen the overlooked pouring into Jesus and into the 12 disciples. As we consider how we're going to apply today's message in this book as a whole to our lives, we need to allow Jesus to reorient our minds as he sees, not as we see. Sometimes we overlook the person or the people that God's placed in our lives to support ministry. And at other times, we are the ones that are overlooked. Church, all of us are stuck in a paradigm of thinking that we know who God can and cannot use. Did you hear me say that again? We are often stuck in a paradigm where we think we know who God can and cannot use. And Jesus makes it very clear in the story we read last week and what we just read today and what we just read from John that he knows who he can use. And he chooses to use who he wants. As we've repeatedly seen, those paradigms don't exist in the kingdom of God. Just like Jesus did, we have to allow God to reveal those paradigms, and then let him guide us as he leads us to work outside them. God can and will use whoever he wants to fill his mission of redeeming the world. And that's going to take a lot of shapes and a lot of forms. But we're not the ones who decide who gets used. God's the one. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God, and in doing so, he brought hope and healing. And those who experienced it responded with support, and they grew closer to God. And in case you didn't catch it, that's the abiding cycle. We'll read it again. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God. He brought hope and healing. Those who experienced it responded with support, and they grew closer to God. Church, whether you feel qualified or not, Jesus wants to reveal the kingdom to you and through you as you abide in him. We all need to ask God to remove the paradigms in our lives so that we can see his work and join him in it. That's the problem with the paradigm is it's like blinders. And God is trying to do an incredible work over here, but we can't see that because all we're focused is on the fight over here. And it's only a work of the Holy Spirit that we can take those blinders off and begin to see the, the massive thing that God's trying to do around us. God wants to reveal the kingdom through you. Don't limit your experiences by following cultural norms. Don't let that be what influences your decisions go to the holy spirit i love i was thinking about this this morning i was talking to craig glasscock about something one day and i don't remember what it was he was sharing something with me and i gave him some advice because that's what pastors do and he said well no offense but i'm going to talk to jesus about this first i'll let you know what he says i was like none taken that's exactly what you need to do that's what all of us need to do is when we're facing something in our lives there's a, a decision that we got to make or we see a ministry opportunity. We're not sure if it's for us or not. Let's go to the Word. Spend some time with Jesus. Listen to Him. Do what He tells you to do. God wants to reveal the kingdom through you. Don't limit your experiences by following cultural norms. Listen more to Jesus than you do to society. And God can and will use anyone that He wants to use. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful that Luke wrote things like this, things that make us just slow down for a minute and consider what was your heart? What were you trying to accomplish? What were you trying to communicate to your church? Father, as we, as we study your word this week, as whatever, wherever we are in Scripture, whatever devotions we're reading, my ask is that you will reveal your heart about people to us, that you will help us to see 
men and women and children as you see them. That our focus wouldn't be on some fight, but our focus would be on the kingdom work that you're trying to do around us. God, that you take the blinders, the paradigms out of our minds and allow us to see the world the way that you see it. That you would allow us to get glimpses of the work that you're trying to do around us that we have in the past missed because of what we perceive to be right or wrong. Jesus says we pursue you. We ask that you would be the one to influence our hearts and our minds, not culture, not whoever's the loudest. But Father, it would be you as we pursue you. Jesus, give us the the wisdom and the insight to see you and to walk in obedience as you would have us do it. Let us move only as you lead. Jesus, we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.